and welcome to the Back in Business podcast with business journalists Liz Barkley and me, Mickey Clark. And this week, we're talking about the vexed issue of young people in business. I don't think we've got much experience of that, but we have got long memories. Perhaps we should pass this, this job on to somebody else, Liz, who's a bit better qualified <laughs> to mix with the young. Speak for yourself. I'm done with the kids. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and anyway, diversity is what we need, and that's what we've got. We've got good age diversity on this team. <laughs> well, that's right, yeah, there's plenty of it, if you've come from Northern Ireland anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We've got quite a few Northern Ireland voices as well, yeah. Uh, but there's a serious point here. Uh, young people are being worst hit by this pandemic when it comes to jobs and to future opportunities. I think just about everybody is agreeing with that at the minute. Yeah, I mean, they, they get hit from both sides. If they've got jobs, um, they've probably been furloughed. They're more likely to get laid off. Um, and if they've started up in business, um, the businesses clearly won't have a long track record. Therefore, it makes arranging financing um, and finding experience to, to sort of take you through the minefield that much more difficult. So, yeah, they're, they're getting it from all sides. This is a one-off. This has never happened before, and everyone's feeling their way. But if you've got experience, it's probably a bit more comforting than if you've been in business just a, a couple of years or even a few months. Yeah, but it's not the first time that young people have been badly hit in a recession. 2008, young people coming out of school. Um, when I left university, there were next to no jobs. Um, can you remember? But, but when, when can you, you remember the last the time that the businesses... Well, <laughs> well, the First World War was still on then. I mean, <laughs> the, the point being, I don't remember a time where businesses have just been shut down at a moment's notice. The cash flow has dried up completely. Um, that's a new experience for everybody. Um, and, and legally they can't challenge it, and they're struggling. And, and I, I still think there'll be a lot of casualties out there because they won't recover. And some of the businesses that are worst hit in the hospitality and tourism sector, for instance, are the places where young people look for temporary work while they're looking for a way to start their career, I suppose. And the so service sector, which traditionally would be labour-intensive, and as we've said often before on this podcast, you know, businesses in this day and age, rely on the cheap cost of labour, a bit like a resource, just as another business would rely on oil or, or steel or something like that. Um, and when the going gets tough, the first thing to get hit is, is you know, the labour force. Whereas if companies invested a bit more in technology, um, you could train these people up to do better jobs and they wouldn't be cast aside when the going got tough. Well, that's a point that perhaps we should put to um, the policymakers. But let us know, young, older or in the middle, what's happening to your business or your freelance work. Email us at contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Find us on LinkedIn uh, or at Twitter at business underscore back in. And yeah, Declan we've got Curry. Declan Curry. Uh, when did he get promoted business editor? He's, and he's, hardly, business he's editor. hardly in a position to talk about youth, is he? When did I start hanging around with people who made me the youngest of the cohort? Oh, boom, boom. I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm a mere child compared to you two. I think that was 1993, so's, wasn't so's it? So's Disraeli compared us. to me. <laughs> so anyway, what do you make of it all, Declan? What's up this week? Well, this week has all been about big numbers. We've had uh, figures showing that growth is starting to recover, but not by very much. And it's totally dwarfed by the slump in the economy that we had in April and then again in May. Uh, in the jobs market, we now know that almost two thirds of a million people have lost their job from coronavirus, uh, since coronavirus. But remember that we still have nine million people who are in work but not doing any work because they're under furlough with the taxpayer uh, picking up their uh, wage bill. And we have had the figures on government borrowing, and we know the government's on track for a just massive mind-bending figure of over £300 billion worth of new borrowing this year. Uh, Mickey, as you said, we haven't had anything like this outside of wartime. We haven't had borrowing like this outside of wartime as well. No, it's huge. And and what what's made me chuckle a bit this week is that you, you look at the various ro rolling news channels and they agonise over every bit of data coming out. I mean, what a complete waste of time. 
most of it you can't gauge because if you switch the engine off, the car ain't going anywhere, as we've said before. And and that's what's happening at the moment. I think you can only get a general feel for, for the, the, the mood, if you like, of the market. And what was more interesting this week was the comments from Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, who said, we really do need to start getting people back to work or back into work um, because a lot of the cities, particularly London, of course, um, are empty. The trouble is, of yes. course, now people have got a taste of freedom and working from home, which is a natural thing to do, they ain't going to be dragged back to the workplace anytime soon. Well, Mr. Bailey said that because, and, and Boris agrees with him, because they want to get people back in town and city centres so that we are buying coffee again, popping into the pub, getting a sandwich at lunchtime, supporting all those smaller businesses that rely on the traffic of office workers. But then along came the chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Valence, yesterday and plunged a big spanner into that argument, saying that there was absolutely no reason that he could see why the advice on working from home should change. As we speak, Boris is on his feet right now, setting out the latest plan for this. And if you were looking for a plan that was clear and defined, then I'm afraid you are going to be disappointed because Boris is effectively, uh, the Prime Minister is effectively saying that, yes, he would like more people to work from the workplace, but he's leaving it entirely up to employers to decide what that judgment is. And the uh, change in the policy is simply to say to employers, have a discussion with your workers about it and make your workplaces safe. Clear That's as, as far as he's gone. Clear as yeah, mud. But, but workers are also saying, hang on a minute, we are not ready to go back out there. And um, I'm they don't feel hearing. Safe. I'm, of course they don't. And I'm hearing from people who are saying, we opened, we reopened, we haven't got any customers. So we're now, yeah. we're reclosing again until September. And we'll see whether it's any better. From the local right data company this week said only 52% of premises on the high street that could reopen have chosen to do so. And look over at the United States. Now, all this argument about how do we stimulate the economy, we tell people to go back to the office, we get that traffic running through uh, town and city centres again. The big danger is if you do it too early, you then get more infections coming back and that completely destroys confidence. And just look at the United States over the last two to three weeks now, record numbers of new infections of coronavirus. California has had to shut down uh, its outdoor economy uh, once again. And yesterday, the US setting a completely new record for the number of infections. The American economy, which has had a recovery of sorts, you're going to see that evaporate again in the next couple of weeks and, because and are, the government moved too early and it's wrecked confidence. And they are taking, you know, things as, as as being said. I mean, if you want clarity, don't expect it from the government at the moment because they're coming out with mixed messages all the time. People want clarity, but to be told to get back to work, but by the way, keep a metre distance and wear a face mask um, is, is going to prove a problem. You, you, you're, you're telling them, be beware. <laughs> <laughs> he says, well, his face Jack mask on. It's Jack a big improvement. his face mask <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> uh, okay, guys, can we move this on? Because we're talking about young people in business this week. And uh, Brian Finch is our back-in-business head of policy and research. Now, Brian, you wrote a blog this week about the lost generation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Set the scene for us. In what way are you saying we've got a lost generation? So, um, <clears throat> so I'm saying we've got a lost generation because in the last 12 years, there's been two major economic crises and, um, you know, the current financial crash, and, oh, sorry, the 2008 financial crash and the current public health crisis. And people like myself, um, aged between, say, 25 and 34, who were leaving school, college, university in 2008, um, <laughs> either didn't enter the workforce at the time or um, we kind of did with opportunities that we weren't planning for. And effectively, what's happened now is that COVID has, has compounded some of the disadvantage that was felt by that generation and is kind of stripping away, actually, because it is, it is a different type of crisis. Um, and so it's completely stripped away some of the opportunities. And it's right that the government has introduced a traineeship scheme 
for um, up to 24-year-olds. But actually, when 85% of those who are on furlough are over the age of 25, it kind of really paints a very bleak picture, particularly outside of the M25 and our major cities. Um, that's all very well, and we're going to talk about the individuals and how they were affected in a minute. Um, but what about the impact on the economy? I mean, how will this affect, affect the economy in the long term? Because we're losing talent here. We're losing years of earning capacity. Yeah. So, I mean, say someone the age of 30, they might have had already about three, four years potentially being taken off from their career progression at quite a young start. Um, and so that should have probably massive effect in a way that we haven't seen in, in generations before. We would have to probably look back quite a way to previous economic crises that have happened quite closely together to see how that has impacted. But this, as I say, is a very different type of crisis that we've seen, uh, this, this crisis. And so it is going to affect massively generationally going across the generations, those that are having to pick up the bill, but also um, it's going to affect generationally in a way that, you know, as I say, it's compounded the disadvantage. Um, one of the things that, you know, people th around the age of 30, between 24 and th 25 and 34, is that, you know, they're looking to settle down, they're looking to build their careers, they're wanting to start a business, they're wanting to own a property, they're wanting to start a family, they're wanting to do savings, all of these things, which where we're taking on more fin financial uh, commitment. And when things, issues like this, you know, we, we don't have the opportunity to move on like that. Also, over the previous decade, there has been stagnant wages. There's been inflation uh, that's kind of outstripped the pace of uh, wage increases. And housing prices have just reached un unrecognisable or unattainable levels, uh, which all kind of goes to affect the advantage, well, the opportunity, basically. Um, Brian, I, we're going to have a big conversation with uh, Charlotte, Duty, Katie and you shortly. But let me bring in Christian Kerr, who uh, is running a business uh, in London. He's one of the founders of AI Core. Um, Christian, I'm bringing you in earlier because I know that you can't stay with us for the podcast, but give us some idea of what you're finding. You're outside the 25 age bracket, so you're just underneath that. Uh, you've got your business set up. Um, are you feeling optimistic? Yeah, thanks for our introduction. Liz. I mean, lucky enough, I couldn't be more any more optimistic. Um, we've it's kind of come at a good time for us. Um, strangely, I know for a lot of people, COVID's been quite a detriment to their business, but it, the constraints have ha helped us completely change everything we do and actually grow much quicker than, than what, what, what we had anticipated. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm definitely rational. But you're realistic. Give me just a quick rundown. What do you do? And what is it that makes you optimistic? Sure, we basically teach um, graduates, mainly PhDs, postdoctorate um, students to pair their academic knowledge with practical implementation skills. So in the field of artificial intelligence, the reason we're optimistic is we find over the course of the pandemic, we've got around five and a half thousand students across London that we were trying to place into jobs. And many of those students were getting rejected purely because all their knowledge was tapped up in theoretical knowledge. And we decided, you know, we can pair that with the practical implementation. So we were able to launch an entirely new course with a lot of industry partners. Um, and on top of that, all of our teaching was offline prior to this. Um, one of the things we find is we, we truly believe that offline was the best teaching experience and we had to change. So instead of using things like Zoom, which we had much difficulty or Skype this morning, we started building our own online classroom um, just to have the nuanced features of um, classrooms. And one thing that happened out of that is a lot of independent schools in the UK and London started using our software and asking to teach on it. So we've built almost an entirely different business line um, where we're running online classrooms. Um, Mickey, this is what we've been saying. We need young entrepreneurs willing to innovate, take risks, create jobs. Yeah, um, and you've got to be able to back them and, and give them a bit, bit of experience. I'm, I'm not sure that that's something that the banks can be relied upon to do. And, and as an aside, um, there's there's a debate raging this week about youngsters, um, about the desire in this country to send them to university and get degrees in Greek when what you really need is a bricklayer. 
Um, you know, they're the, the sort of entrepreneurs. And the other one is is Darcy Bustle, who's in the papers saying, look, hold on a second. We've got this shutdown and, you know, we're all taking it carefully, but we are losing loads of talent. It's falling by the wayside because people are turning around and saying, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be a dancer. I've, I've got to survive. I've got to bring in some income. I'll go and do something else. And that's where the waste is, you know, that you've got these natural talents. People want to flourish. And this is basically squashing them. And Christian, what would you then say? Um, you know, obviously you're doing well, you're optimistic. Um, what would you say to the government in light of, you know, some of the things that we've been talking about? How do they get a grip on this? I mean, just touching on the point Mickey made there, what we'll hear from our uh, corporate partners is that up to 80% of the things students are learning in university is irrelevant to the job that they're taking. So they're, they're doing a, you know, a degree that's just an overall kind of, um, just you're, you're, you know, you're dipping your toe in the water of what you really should be learning. Um, so we're looking at more apprenticeship schemes within the things of data science and artificial intelligence. In terms of business, if I'm completely honest, in, in government, we don't even have the capacity to look at what type of loans government are supporting businesses with. You know, it's not something we're even aware of. So we've never looked in that direction at all, purely because we don't have the time. Um, and, and I think, you know, if, they, if government can make things a lot easier, we, we've filled out a few applications for funding. And it's just, it's, it's just a crazy, a torturous amount of time that you have to do, um, taking the time to do these kind of things. And especially as a director of a company, you know, it's not usually worth your time because the response is never positive. Any application we've made for funding um, hasn't been successful. And um, I know a lot of people will get fund riders that they'll spend some money on. But if it could just be easier um, to set that up and have an accountant reach out to you to do it, that'd be great. Um, is it always money that you need or is it the accountant, the support, the help, the advice? Great question. I, I think it's individual to the business um, for us. Personally, we're trying to grow, so money is just a, a medium to, to help us achieve that. But I wouldn't say money is what we need currently. Um, Guiding light. More, more so we need people um, and skilled people. So we, need, we have a lot of people that we teach, um, which we're kind of grateful for. We can take the students that we teach and, and pull them into work with us. Um, but, but I think it, it's more the people that we need that, that just aren't, haven't got that skill set that we're looking for. So interesting uh, point there, and perhaps we need to look at how the education system interfaces with business. Otherwise, how on earth will we know what graduates school or school leavers we enough. need? Yeah, I mean, you should be dangling the carrot to children at school and saying, look, this is a job you could do, or that's a job you could do. Do you like this? Do you enjoy it? And give them a feel for what it is, instead of just saying, you've got to pass this exam, you've got to pass that exam, and you end up with a load of kids that have left school with, with no practical you know, sense at all. And I think that's where we lose out a lot because there's a lot of talent around, particularly at that age, that's just going to waste. Well, um, Christian, maybe, sorry, I think you're still trying to come in there. I know you were going to leave us, but a final word? Yeah, I mean, Liz, I know a few of us are from Northern Ireland here and I grew up there myself. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I never I've find the school, <laughs> the school system very There's another great. one. There's another one yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the one thing I would say is, you know, children have a natural curiosity when they're at school. And I feel like school really replaces that with compliance. And I find that at my own school, which kills any creativity or any idea that you could leave. I was told in Northern Ireland, you couldn't even go to London to go to university. You should stay, um, stay put. And, um, you know, I think just opening up the possibility that there's other things you could do um, would be um, a great opportunity for many more students. Well, look, De thank you Declan very much indeed for London. joining us. I was told to get out as fast That's as you can. That's an inspiration. <laughs> yeah, me too. And don't come back. If he can get it <laughs> right, well. <laughs> Let us know how the business is going, will you? And we'll come back to you in another podcast. That would be great, Christian. Fantastic. Thank you all so much. And um, thank, you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So can we bring in uh, Josie Ramby, who is Back in Business Chief Reporter. She's also a freelance business journalist. Uh, Charlotte Brokenbrow, who is co-director of The White Tent Company in Cardiff. Katie Matthews, who runs Excel in Education Tutoring School and The Mind Tribe. And Brion, of course, is here. Um, Brion, we wanted to discuss a bit more around about what you were talking about, about the lost generation. Um, Katie, Charlotte, Jyoti, what do you think of Breon's hypothesis that we're 
losing a generation because they went into the 20, 2008 recession, uh, leaving school, and they've come 12 years later to a grinding halt now that we've got another recession. Um, I think you're sort of bang on there because I graduated in 2012 and the job market then was dire and it took quite a while for me to find a job and then when I did I realised the best thing to do at that time was to go back into education so that's what I did Um, and I know that a lot of people did struggle and for them a lot of people have also ended up doing things they didn't necessarily set out to do because there wasn't the opportunity that they wanted at that time. And then you became a freelance? Yes. As a freelance business journalist? Yes, I only started earlier this year and the initial idea was just to go freelance for a few months Um, and then the lockdown happened and what I had lined up all fell through. So... I was in a situation which I wasn't expecting and I've had to um, just find my way, if you like. And it's it's, it's been an interesting ride, I would say. <laughs> Shall, we... <laughs> Shall we hear more about that? Still smiling. <laughs> Charlotte, what about you? Um, you're running the White Tent Company in Cardiff. Uh, uh, a, what do you do and how... What's your reaction to this argument? Um, well, the White Tent Company is a murder mystery events company. So um, we have only started from last September. Um, so we've been hit very much this time around rather than the recession in 2008. We've definitely been hit by this one. Um, as an events company, obviously everything just grinded to a halt. Um, events were cancelled. They were postponed till next year. Well, at least they're still happening, but it's a bit upsetting that they have been postponed um but it is just like what um, Bjorn has been saying is that the worst the people who are new get hit the worst because they're kind of forgotten it feels like you kind of you just go through the net and no one's there to catch you um because people just don't think you either you don't know enough about it because you're new to either the business or the sector or just because you don't have enough evidence that you are doing what you're doing. So you normally just get forgotten about and just left to the side because the people who actually have the experience and the history and the evidence get helped first. That is that's dire to feel that you've been completely forgotten about. But Jyoti as well, you said, you know, you've fallen through the cracks and, and there's nobody there to catch you. Katie Matthews, um, what's your experience? The Mind Tribe, what's that? Um, Hi, thanks for having me on today. Um, The Mind Tribe UK is um, a mental health and wellness training company. Um, So I go in and train educators, I work with charities, um, I go into corporate environments um, and train people basically in ways that they can support their staff's mental health, support children's mental health. Um, As I myself have lived with mental illness now for 11 years. Um, So it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. And you were just saying there, Charlotte, you know, about feeling forgotten, feeling left behind. I'm in exactly the same position um, where myself and my fiancé, actually, he started his company six months ago as well. Um, so we're both in this position where we're in that 5% that's been left behind. Um, you know, that's what Chancellor said, you know, there's 5% of people that aren't going to get the help, but we both fall into that category. Because we, you know, we haven't got staff, we haven't got premises, we're not eligible for the bounce back loan. So every single door was being closed. And the only thing that we've been able um, to receive is universal credit. So we're in this position where we've got a mortgage, like we're we're both 28, we've got a mortgage, we've got, um, you know, bills to pay, same as everybody else. But it almost became a case of, right, we, we need to go into survival mode where it was anything that isn't necessary needs to get cut. Um, what can I look at in terms of innovation? I moved all my teaching online. Um, I've developed online courses. So yes, there has been opportunity in terms of innovation and being able to be creative. But at the same time, all the onus is being put on us as in we have to find a way to make money and to support ourselves. When we've been contributing to the economy, we've been paying our tax, we've been paying our national insurance. Yet, when it's come for us needing help, nobody's been there for us. 
Yeah, and what what about Casey when things do pick up, which I'm sure they will one day? Um, is your business in a position to take advantage of that, or have you been so starved of cash and resources that you're you're going to struggle to make headway? I think in terms of um, well, me this is for for me personally. I actually fall into the highly vulnerable group um, because of the treatment that I'm on. So I have to be really careful as I have an autoimmune condition. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to deliver face to face or when that time time frame will be. You know, I'll be able to physically go back in. To you companies. can't sit and do one for ones, um, basically. Yeah. So it's basically a case of sitting on Zoom. Um, other platforms are available. <laughs> Sitting. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. Yes, that's what we found today. <laughs> or not, was the case maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's just a difficult time because everything is really uncertain. And as you were saying earlier, you know, Boris isn't being exactly uh, very clear. <laughs> and it leaves us in an awkward position then because it's like things are open to interpretation. Like my um, consultant is telling me something different than what the government's telling me. And then you have your family saying, but we really want to see you. And then obviously in terms of my own mental illness, I live with anxiety and depression. So I need to go outside. I need to go out and exercise. I need to go out for a walk because I've been cooped up indoors since March. <laughs> it's July. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's literally like I need to see other humans. <laughs> Uh, yes, doesn't bear thinking about. Um, Get and to my Charlotte, age, you won't I... need to. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sick of everyone um, by then. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Charlotte, uh, also from your point of view, um, how you know how how are you going to be coming out of this? Do you reckon what's what's your thinking? What's your projections? Well, we're just going off what our clients are going to think. So we mainly go through, through the team building route of Murder Mysteries um, rather than doing actual like performances and doing um, other live events. We go through team building. So we go into people's workplaces and offer them exercises to help work together. So that all depends on if they're comfortable with us coming in and even doing the work ourselves, um, which that's all on their part, not on ours. We can't force them to do something they don't want to do. So it's up to them if their workplace is safe for them and their employees and if it's safe enough for us to come into the space too. And obviously we'll have to make sure that we're safe coming into their environment to make sure they feel comfortable as well. So it's more of a back and forth communication with any of our clients if they do feel comfortable enough to even hire us in the first place to come and do our services. Um, however, we have the same as Katie, we've kind of innovated and we've put a lot of our services online. So we've done mini mysteries that people can print off and just do at home, family friendly ones. We've done virtual murder mysteries with people, which is loads of fun. Um, and there's just a bunch of other ways that we're trying to make it a lot more um, innovative and try to involve more people without actually having to physically be there to make them feel a lot more comfortable. Can we can we nominate somebody to be murdered? Because I think Mickey, oh. De De you I know and I going to be lined up for that. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian, to your your hypothesis, you know, um, Charlotte, when you graduated, things were tough. Um, do you think you would have been further up the career ladder had that not been the case? Where you know, to Brian's hypothesis that uh, this is the second whammy. Um, do you do you feel that you're going to ultimately at the end of your career have missed out on lots of earning opportunities or do you actually think that it makes you more resilient and you go for it where you might not? I think in a way it does make people more resilient 100%. It's made me more resilient um, even just within the company that I run and also I freelance on the side as well. Um, as it's only a startup so I have to work alongside my own company at the same time to make ends meet. So in both scenarios... I've had to be a lot more resilient and um, just think of new ways to go about things um, and also just realise that the skills I do have, even though in this one moment I might not be able to do my dream job, for instance, those skills I have can fit into another area just for the time being and that this moment does change and we can still go forward and get what we want in the future, even if it isn't something which we want to do right now in this moment. Brian, that's something you didn't touch on um well no uh, i didn't um 
Yes, this is the thing. I think that um, the opportunities that can come out of uh, recessions such as this can actually create much more dynamism. They can create uh, opportunities in other ways. It's just that our economy isn't, in the traditional sense of our economy, it isn't set up for this type of working. And so the opportunities that have gone in generations before are not affording themselves to the generation that is currently having to live through this again. And also, a, a pan, it's a pandemic. You know, this is a once in 100 years, maybe once in 200 years event. Um, the economy has radically changed from, um, from, from the last pandemic that we saw. And so it's, it's essentially, it's about... You know, what is the government going to do? What is the government doing to speak to uh, young people in this age bracket who are affected and who who some people outside of, say, the M25, where economic opportunity is much more um, sparse, are thinking perhaps that the system isn't working for them. So that's the that's the kind of where I'm looking for. There, there are innovators such as everyone here, uh, and there are people who are resilient such as everyone here. Um, but there are some people who need that additional support. Um, yeah, they need they need the additional support. But it seems to me that that additional support doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it's very hard to get a handle on. Yes, it's very yes, hard to absolutely. find. And so this is part of the leveling up agenda, really, where where government needs to focus. However, at the minute, I don't see anything in government rhetoric that is going to look to this generation and and specifically target them with incentive or i don't know anything maybe even like actually building some houses for example uh, because we do live in a property owning democracy um all of these things uh, i don't see it happening at the minute in their rhetoric apart from you know infrastructure bills but you know a, a bridge up in Cumbria, going over over you know a river up there, is brilliant. It doesn't serve this generation who are working the way that they are, innovating, creating in the way that they are. Either. And it's five and years down the line. You know, there's yeah, no exactly. immediate benefit short term. You have to have shovel ready contracts, and there just aren't enough of them around. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And so you know, even either, and we even have a skills shortage. For that sort of that sort of infrastructure build, so you know, it's 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 kind of taking with one and, and giving with the other, but that we don't have the necessary bodies to fill that in either. So it's it's quite frustrating, and it's because of the last ten years where this generation has been ignored. I would argue uh, quite largely by all politicians, um, you know, on all sides of every every colour in the house. Um, that that we've ended up in this situation. Let's bring, I mean, Declan and Brian. What what can we expect this week, Mickey? I think there's um, a a point about this that when we talk about young workers um, in difficult economic times, that they are always the ones that are hit first and hardest. And that's a combination of a whole range of different factors. And it's difficult to fix all of them in one easy step. You know, young workers are more likely to be in more flexible employment to get their first job. But the flip side of that is that they're in employment that is less secure. They are more likely to work in the leisure economy, in hotels, in pubs, in shops, because that's for many people, the gateway to work. It is the first step into the job market. And those are the jobs that are usually the first to go when companies have to cut back. And what what I'm hearing from young workers is that they feel First of all, uh, they feel uh, a bit dislocated when they hear people like the prime minister say, we've got to get out, we've got to go spending in the pubs and in restaurants, because they think, well, hang on, we haven't got any money. And when they then come to the position where they're running things, they may draw some lessons from this period. They may say that actually we need a system of employment that provides more security, uh, even if that comes at the cost of flexibility. And some of them may also 
think, and we've heard this come through in our particular discussion today, that the system is rigged against them, that uh, the money is with people who are older, uh, that uh, house prices are as high as they are, uh, and that benefits people who are in retirement or on the brink of retirement. It doesn't help first-time buyers at all. And, and I mean, is, isn't the problem that the message has got to come from the government? Because at the moment, you know, Boris is out in the front leading, but he's following the, the science. And just like the economists, if you have a dozen scientists in the room, you'll get 13 opinions. If only you know, he was following the science, that might give us a bit more clarity. The confusion is coming because the scientists like Paddy Valens are saying one thing that we've got to stay working from home. And Boris and the governor of the Bank of England are saying something else. Boris said today, by the way, just um, in his uh, media briefing today, that whilst he respects the scientific advice, it is the politicians who make the decisions. To come back to, uh, Rion, to your uh, conversation, um, what, do you, what needs to be done? How do, we, how do we address the issues? How do we end up in a situation where we don't... Um, fall into the same traps again and where young people aren't ultimately left carrying the can? Well, yeah, it's an interesting question because, um, I, and I did think, you know, in preparation for today's podcast, of course, like, what is my ask, really? And really, it, it's, people say, I mean, my experience was that I was 18 in 2008, I left school, and there was absolutely zero opportunity out there for me to get a job, even even the smallest of jobs, even in my local uh, news agent, there was completely nothing. I can imagine that this pandemic has brought about exactly the same challenges for people who are 18 and going to be leaving school, say September, or have even already left school. Um, And so my ask really kind of is, um, that this isn't this is an opportunity now um, because the previous decade, 12 years, um, there hasn't really been much of a uh, uh, working towards creating policy that reflects needs of this generation that's growing up. Uh, but also, you know, this this generation is not so vocal. We don't really have us. And, and you can see from the guests that we've had this morning that Essentially, they, they don't necessarily have the ask. They they see the the issue um, or the 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 solution is coming from them in their businesses, which is I think really fantastic. But the government could do more to use that uh, entrepreneurialism, that innovation, and that creativity, that drive. You know, these people, this this age group is incredibly aspirational, and when you have an aspirational, you know, class um, age group. Um, and that, that creates opportunity for the government to really essentially work with them much, much better than they have already. So this is an, this is an open opportunity, really, for the government to not just think about those who are entering the workforce now, but to start to detangle some of the kind of um, the policies and, and some of the kind of working in which it's instituted for the last a decade and a bit um and and start tackling into into that generation that's now going to be hopefully moving us out of and and by the way also paying for the covid bill as well for the rest the financial crash and the covid bill for the rest of our lives so that's that's my kind of ask really Brian's exactly right, uh, because I can remember the 1980s when we had a surge in youth unemployment as well, and we had the YOPs and we had the YTS as the way of either uh, getting people ready for work again or just massaging down the unemployment figures. But I think the lesson that was drawn from then was that you unlock the future by giving people the skills they need to be economically successful in the future. So if you apply that to today, you're looking at making sure that when kids leave school, when graduates leave university, they've got the skills that are useful to the likes of Christian care. They're able to do the AI, that they're able to work in the new factory that has been unveiled for Wales today, making car batteries for electric cars or working in that hydrogen energy plant that's going to be developed along the Humber that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or we've got the skills in robotics and in nanotechnology. We've got to prepare kids for jobs that today we can't 
yet envision. I absolutely agree with that. Jyoti, you want to come in? Sort of on that, but that's for school leavers and graduates right now. But what about people my generation who have worked hard, who have built up a set of skills? My question is, do you not think the government system and the way they tax businesses is a bit old-fashioned now because the way we work has changed? Yeah, I absolutely get that the reason why you would be saying that. What about Katie and Charlotte? What are you thinking um, in in your own, uh, you know, situations? Do you feel that you've been badly let down, or that somehow or other um, you need to find a way through this yourselves? Um, yes, I think I obviously raised that issue earlier that I think the onus has been put on to us as young people, um, and it's very much a case of you need to do it yourself. We're not going to be there for you. But at the same time, as I said, we have been paying our taxes, we've been paying our national insurance, yet we're not getting any support back. But we're going to be the ones that are then footing the bill after, you know, we we start to come out of this pandemic. So it's a bit of a, um, I don't know how to say this in a nice way, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about the niceness. polite enough, yeah. (laughs) Just say it. (laughs) It is, yeah, it's a bit bit of a kick in the teeth, you know, to think we were the ones, as we said, you know, we're hit in 2008. I was 16 in 2008 and had just finished my GCSEs, Um, then went on to college and then different things happened but decided to obviously move over to Northern Ireland to go to Queen's for university um but in terms of you know job opportunities it was negligible basically you know it was a case of if you get a job you hold on to it like I managed to get a job um but that was only because I knew somebody who knew somebody you know um it wasn't necessarily okay you've got um exactly what we're looking for here but it's something you can learn but that's obviously the hospitality and catering sector as you say it's something that's not um necessarily the most secure position because obviously if we were back in that time now we would have been the first ones to go and that's what you know obviously teenagers and young people are going through now um and we're experiencing this again 12 years later in a slightly different way that we're now the business owners but we're still not getting any help (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so it's like what more do we need to do you know we, we've we've gone down the route of employment we've gone down the route of entrepreneurship we've tried to be innovative we tried to be creative we've utilized our resources we've done our qualifications we've contributed to the economy what else do you want from us i think it's a very i think it's a very fair question charlotte does that resonate with you it does quite a lot Um, I completely agree with what Katie said, that we've just been left to our own devices without any support or even anywhere to go to even look for support. We've kind of had to help each other. It's kind of like the blind leading the blind. We're just all walking around not knowing what to do and we're just looking for that support and it's just not there at all. And like what Katie said, it's happened again. It happened in 2008 and it's happening now. So surely you'd think that they would learn from their mistakes. Um, it's fine to make mistakes, but surely making them more than once is a bit yeah. too much. <laughs> so no, they just don't to... learn. They don't learn, believe me. <laughs> they never and, learn. <laughs> and you've got to remember, you know, we hear this every generation, that, that people like us sat and moaned about 30 years ago about the old fogies, the coffin dodgers, you know, and, and now we're in the same position and, and youngsters quite no, no, rightly you are complain one. about us. Well, I'm one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite admit it so it goes on and it does seem as though we, we don't learn and and you mentioned tax don't even go down that route well Jordy mentioned tax yeah. i'm just going to pick up from what charlotte said about um, them making a mistake in the last um recession it was the small businesses and the freelancers they're the ones that got this economy back up and running so you think that the government would give us more support especially those of us who have just started out but yet we are the forgotten ones. We've slipped through the cracks. So how can you then expect us to get this economy backing up again? Okay. All right. So what do you want? What do you want from government? Um, Katie, in Northern Ireland, the government hasn't been any more helpful than here, presumably, (laughs) from what you're saying. What do you want them to do? Stop arguing over things that are not necessarily irrelevant, but things that don't take priority in a current situation. Um, as you know yourself, we we have a divided society over here. 
Um, and it's easy for me to comment on that, obviously, coming from England. And it's not a case of, you know, I don't fully respect the traditions over here and the culture. But at the same time, you have to understand that there's priorities, you know, and there's things that need to be put in place now. We can worry about the other stuff down the line. You know, that's something we could revisit. It's not going away. It's part of people's identity. It is something that we are going to look at again. You know, it's not as if we haven't looked at it for the last however many hundred years. But, <laughs> but at the same time, we have to think, okay, do we need to be discussing what flag is flying or, I don't know, who's allowed to attend what funeral when... We need to be talking about the children that are vulnerable, the people that are living in poverty, the people that are homeless, kids that need to be fed, get supporting teachers to get them back into school so that our kids are being educated. You know, it's that's what's frustrating for me. Um, is because, as you know, we were saying that the government hasn't been supporting us, we're expected to do ourselves. I actually went through bankruptcy a couple of years ago. And off the back of that experience, I was only 26 when it happened. Um, and off the back of that, I then set up the Young Entrepreneurs Network in Northern Ireland because nothing like that existed over here. There's, there was nobody for us to go to. And as you say, Charlotte, sometimes it is a bit of a case of the blind leading the blind. <laughs> I don't always know what I'm doing. <laughs> but, you know, it's a case of we need a community. When there, there was support that was needed and it still is needed, you know. And at the moment, I'm struggling to be at the helm of that you know, and to lead the organisation, because I do it all voluntarily, you know, it's just something I believe in. Because obviously what I experienced as a young businesswoman, I was 23 when I set up my first company. So I could see that we need support. There's there's a whole gap here that needs to be filled that, that you know, I decided, right, we're going to fill that and we're going to establish this voluntary network. But we've been relying on older, more, ex sorry, not necessarily older, more experienced entrepreneurs <laughs> yeah we were that's it <laughs> you you know as well already <laughs> older's fine yeah <laughs> get cold worse. <laughs> um, we've we've been relying on them to offer their knowledge and offer their time you know they've been amazing like the business community in northern ireland is fantastic and the startup community in terms of being supportive of each other um, you've got venture capitalists that are starting up over here. Um, you've got startup champions. You know, it really is a great place for it. But now it's a case of, well, how do we emerge from that? You know, what is the government going to do to support us? And it's almost like, it sounds silly, maybe we don't know what we don't know. Well, you so don't know the questions to ask. Yeah, we don't know what we need because we haven't been through it before. It's like we need money to pay our bills. <laughs> You know. I, think that's a very, I think that's a very good point. Charlotte, what would you be saying to the Welsh government? Well, I feel like the Welsh government haven't been as bad. Um, they have been a little bit late on things, but not as bad. So startups were actually given um, the opportunity to apply for a grant just earlier this month, which is not a lot, but at least it was something, which I know quite a lot of other governments haven't actually offered startups. And it was something where it was kind of like a light bulb moment. You're like, finally, they can see us. We are actually here and they've noticed us. It did take a bit of campaigning from quite a few people. And it was like the more experienced people, the more experienced companies that were saying, you're going to let these people slip through the cracks and their companies are just going to go off the market and they're not going to be able to come back from this. So it was good that they have seen us, but they've still got a lot more work to do. But the same as Katie said, we don't know what we want because we haven't experienced business as the same as other people have. So we don't know what we need. We need them to understand that we are still fresh and we're still new. And we just need that support to become a lot more stable and just a lot stronger. Well, I think that's an amazing um, point, really. Jyoti, anything you want to add to that? No, I think it would be nice if some of the stuff like the startup funds and that could be available in England from the English government, from Westminster, and just clarity overall, um, clarity over the way the lockdown is easing, clarity for businesses, and after when all this over, this is over, maybe have a look at our system, how um, how taxes work, our business models maybe bring it into the future, into the 21st century. 
<laughs> a good place to start. Uh, Brion, uh, final word to you, because you, you set this all up. You started this conversation. What are you thinking now? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it, it, really the government needs, and governments of all countries in the UK, I think need to improve their engagement with this age group. Um, they need to really, really pare down what the needs are. And, and you, you're completely right. Um, because because we haven't had to be in this situation before, and also because we started out in this situation, we don't know any different. And you don't have to look very far um, to the generation above uh, and, and higher than that as well to see the knowledge, the skills and the opportunities that they've had um, built into their careers, their financing, you know, everything that they, they've gone about and achieved. And if we are to achieve the same, then government really needs to look at that, all of that, take it together as well with different parts of the UK, different parts, say, uh, outside the M25, and work it into their levelling up agenda, uh, which is apparently going to be coming very, very shortly. So that's that's what I want to see. Otherwise, um, we will be a lost generation. We'll be a sort of no man's land where <laughs> opportunity was stripped away. Um, okay, and then well, how look, do you build in the opportunity for the next generation? On behalf of on behalf of the older lot here, can I say please don't give up because without your <laughs> without peddling. your innovation, keep peddling, without you innovating, taking risks and uh, creating jobs, uh, the economy is going to be sunk. So we're relying on you guys to get on with it. Um Mickey, I'm <laughs> Well, that, yeah. I don't, I, mean, I don't know what to say really. I don't know where to start. <laughs> Uh, but that's it from us for this week. Next week, we're going to tackle the subject of rural businesses. And they're not all about farming, which will make news around this way. <laughs> not lots of rural businesses. What do you mean, this way in Kent? Ah. <laughs> URE, yes, out in the boonies. Lots of rural businesses are saying it's about connectivity. So it's about broadband, it's about transport, it's about uh, cash you know, even being connected to a cash machine. So there are lots of lots of issues that we uh, will talk about. If you want to get in touch, please email us at contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk or find us on LinkedIn and Twitter at business underscore backing. See you next week. Bye.